Thank you for that. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter number 11. I'm not going to sing a special. I'm not called for that. <laughs> well, if the singers do the singing and the preachers do the this morning, then you might have missed the announcement that uh, this is Brenton's last Sunday. Appreciate everything that he's done, and I'll not uh, spend more time on that. We'll talk a little bit about that after church. But uh, uh, but he did come as an intern a couple years ago. Just kind of the idea was, hey, w you know, I'll give you an opportunity to lead singing and and kind of help out and and uh, and of course we went through a book as well with him, me and him, and sat down every. Uh, I think it was a week or every two weeks. Sometimes we get interrupted, but uh, uh, spent a lot of time together, and I appreciate all the work that he's put in. And uh, and so, Lord, he feels like the Lord's moving him on to another church to be another blessing. And I was sitting there thinking, I, I grew up in a military family, and um, one of the greatest, one of the, what I believe probably the greatest thing in my life is that my parents were always faithful to church. And I thank God for that. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, it has given me opportunity to get to know people. Uh, our church was like our second family everywhere we went. And it was always a blessing. And it was hard to leave those places. But when we left those places, we met new people at the next church we went to. Um, and and in, this, is, this is the Lord. I, it's not like I, I could orchestrate these things. But uh, Tim DeLello is here. I knew Tim DeLello in Rome, New York. Uh, April Young. I knew April Young down in Huber Heights, Ohio, uh, when we lived there. And, and two people from past years gone by when I was a kid and went to church. Um, and here we are years later in the same church. And, and Lord just does things like that. You know, he moves people around and, and that's just sometimes the nature of things. And so, uh, again, I appreciate uh, Brenton. I wasn't going to say all that, but I did. He, Revelation chapter number 11 and uh, that's just kind of bring everyone back up to speed where we're at here and, uh, and, and what's going on. But um, Revelation chapter 11, let me say this too. I appreciate uh, Micah and, and David and uh, Mackenzie are back from college. David's sick today. He's not able to be here this morning. Um, and then uh, Jackson will be traveling. Well, he'll, be, he'll have his uh, the graduation. He's got a one-year certificate that he'll be graduating here May 8th or 9th or somewhere during that week. They're having a big shindig down there. I'll be down there for that as well. And, uh, and then he'll be traveling home and our college of kids will be home. But uh, thank the Lord for our college kids being back and uh, God giving them safety and uh, continue to pray for Jackson that he'll, uh, as he travels back as well, that everything will go smoothly. So... I wanted to mention that. I have, there's so many things that I wish I could mention, want to mention. I just don't have time to get it all. And so let's go to Revelation chapter number 11. Let's pick up where we were. We've, we've really had some disjointed services as far as uh, I hit Revelation. Then we had, some, we had uh, auction Sunday and then I hit Revelation. And uh, we've kind of been, been kind of interrupted in our study here. But in chapter 10, I'll remind you that we started with a parenthetical statement. Before we get into this, let's read verses 1 and 2 and I'll have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says in, in Revelation chapter number 11 and verse number 1, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for your many blessings. We thank you for the privilege, God, that we have to be in your house worshiping openly, freely, God, for the liberty that we have and, uh, God, the freeness that we have to purchase your word and have a copy of it. God, I thank you for all of that. God, I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you'd give us understanding minds as we study the book of Revelation and, God, to know and see, uh, have an understanding of things which are to come and, God, we'll certainly thank you for that and most of of all, God, I do pray that we would uh, see you throughout this whole book and, uh, and get a better picture uh, of you. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In chapter 10, uh, we started a parenthetical statement. 
and, uh, and it adds relevant information to the story. Let me give you an example. I, I was thinking I probably should illustrate a parenthetical. Uh, I use that. I remember when I, I was not that long ago when we started uh, the book of Revelation. I was talking with my dad and, and uh, just trying to get an overview from my dad. And, uh, and, and so he was telling me, you know, well, this and that. And, 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 and he said, you know, chapter 7 is a parenthetical and chapter 10 is a parenthetical. And, and I thought, a parenthetical. What on earth is he talking about? What is a parenthetical? And then I do the same thing to you. It's a parenthetical statement, and, and I expect you to know. Let me give you a good example of what a parenthetical statement is. So I'm going to give you one sentence. I probably should have put it up on the screen, but I just didn't take the time to do all this. But, uh, but uh, I'll give you one sentence, all right? This will help you in English class if you're still studying English. George was driving the car, and he was doing a fabulous job. That is just a straight-up sentence, okay? There is no parenthetical statement in there. I'm going to give you that same sentence with a parenthetical statement that will, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be like, oh, wow, that adds information that I did not realize about George. Ready? So the, parent, the, the second statement is the same statement with a parenthetical statement in it. George was driving the car, air quotes, I'll put parenthetical statement, all right? He was only 12 years old, close parentheses, and he was doing a fabulous job. Okay? Now that adds some relevant information. You're thinking, George is driving the car and he's doing a fabulous job. Wonderful. Okay, I do that all the time. But then when you see that parenthetical, oh, George is only 12 years old? Wow. That's scary. And he's on the road. Um, and, and it adds information that you say, Wow. So that is what these parenthetical statements are. Uh, if you notice, we're, as we go through the book of Revelation, it's pretty fluid and it flows. You go from chapter 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 and, and it's a fluid storyline until you hit chapter 7 and there's a parenthetical statement where relevant information is added to that storyline. There's no real place to go ahead and, uh, I mean, yeah, you could start out, George was 12 years old uh, in my example, or you could tag it on the end, but nonetheless, chapter 7 is a parenthetical statement that adds relative information to the story, uh, the, the storyline that is taking place. Chapter 10 as well does the same thing. So then he goes through. You'll remember that in chapter uh, 8, uh, we find the seven seals that were started in chapter 8. And he goes through them uh, much like he did in chapter 6 with the seals. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, opening the seals. And then there was a parenthetical statement in, mid, in between those. What we have here, the... Uh, uh, the seventh seal was opened, which are uh, seven angels in verse number two in chapter eight. And I saw seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. So, so now we have seven trumpets that are going to sound. And, and you break through in verse number seven, the first angel sounded. Verse number eight, the second angel sounded. Verse number 10, the third angel sounded. Verse number 12, the fourth angel sounded. Uh, and, then, and then verse number 13 introduces something uh, that, that pertains to them. It's three woes that kind of folds into and goes with those trumpets. But in chapter nine, we find the fifth angel sounded. That's the first woe. And in, in chapter nine and verse number 13, the sixth angel sounded. And if you look in verse 12, one woe is past and two woes um, more hereafter. So that's the second woe and the sixth trumpet in chapter 9 and verse number 13. But then we find in chapter 10, there's a parenthetical statement where it adds relevant information to the timeline in which we're going through. Okay, so I, I hope that that helps illustrate and helps you understand uh, what a parenthetical statement is and how we're referring to that in chapter 10. We went through all of chapter 10, um, not last week, but the, the last time that we went through, uh, the, we were in the book of Revelation, and uh, we're now in chapter number 11. And I want you to know this, that in chapter 10 and chapter 11, it does not break. The story continues. Go back to chapter 10. The last verse, verse number 11, 
you'll remember that last portion, he was talking about John and eating that book and how it would be sweet to his tongue, but bitter in his stomach. In verse number 11, and he said unto me, this is the angel that was speaking to John, and he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. In verse number 1 of chapter 11, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. So we find the continuity is not, breaking, not broken from chapter 10 to chapter 11. You understand that? We're following along here in the same story, in the same parathetical di division that breaks out in chapter number 10. And so we find this angel uh, that gives to John a reed uh, like unto a rod. And, and he says, uh, there in the middle of the verse, rise and measure the temple of God. And so the first thing we notice here in chapter 11 is this temple. And the measuring throughout the Bible stands for really measuring up to God's standard. Save your spot here in Revelation and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I heard a message out of this passage that, that is forever embedded in my mind, and so I love these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 12. And the Bible says this, as we think about measuring and, and we think about what he's doing there in the book of Revelation. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 12 is a passage that says here, For we dare not make ourselves of the number... Or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Verse 13, but we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. And he goes on about reaching beyond their measure and, and things of that nature. But I simply want us to illustrate and realize that, hey, we've got measures that are given to us and, and God has a, a standard of measure that is right. In other words, we don't, uh, the, the idea in this passage is we don't run around and compare ourselves among ourselves. It was funny, uh, somebody said preach when Brenton was up here and he said, I'm not called for that and it just was funny and ironic. And some people are called, you know, if, if we were to pit, well, Brent and myself singing, hands down, he won, okay? <laughs> we don't compare ourselves among ourselves for that. Because, because with, with all graciousness, and I love you, Brother Brenton, he's not the gold standard for singing. Amen. All right? Uh, and I don't say that in any means, but you understand what I'm saying. God is the, and listen, if, if we were to have him preach and me preach, uh, we'll reverse the tables. That way we're even, all right, both sides. Um, and and uh, hands down, I, I, I feel bad saying this, um, but I might probably preach a little better than him. Um, we'll say it that way. But understand, I'm not the gold standard for preaching. You understand what I'm saying? God is the measurement and the standard, and what God dictates as right is right. And so this passage deals a lot with that, but but it's talking about the measure and, and measuring ourselves with God's measure. And here we have in Revelation chapter number 11, and there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. And so he's uh, physically standing and he's physically measuring out this temple. And as we think about it, it's saying, hey, is this up to God's standard? You do realize when they built the tabernacle, when they built the temple, uh, there were all these things that God instituted and said, hey, this is the way I want it done. This is how it's to be put together. This is to go here and this is to go there. God gave very specific instructions on what to do and where to do it and how to do it. And, and he's, at, he's having uh, John go through now and measure this. And I want you to understand that. Uh, and see, does it measure up to God's specs? I want you to notice this, that... Um, 
This is an earthly temple. Uh, the Bible's clear when it's a heavenly vision. Uh, many people will argue that uh, chapter 11, this temple is the church body that is still here. Uh, there's no real need. I love the old saying that where the, Bible makes, where, where the Bible makes common sense, there's no need to seek other sense. There's no other need to seek another uh, meaning behind it. And, and the Bible's very clear here. This is an earthly temple. Uh, I was looking at all of that, uh, and I preached this morning that we are the temple. And we are right now. Uh, but, but listen, this is a real temple that's going to exist uh, in Jerusalem. We're going to look at the whole context of this chapter. There's no reason in my mind uh, to think otherwise. Uh, there was, there was two, two temples built. Uh, you remember there was Solomon's temple that he built, and I was going to read that. I believe it was Second Kings chapter number 6, and he finished the building of it. It took him seven years to build that temple. Then the, the next temple that, of course, was destroyed. And you'll remember that Zerubbabel and in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra talks about the rebuilding of the temple. And they did. They rebuilt that temple. It took them longer. Uh, it was not up to the same standard as the glory of the first temple. Uh, but, but it was a temple nonetheless. And, uh, and then in Jesus' day, uh, he refers to something that's called Herod's temple. You'll remember he said, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, 40 and six years were we in building this temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? And they were upset. And he, of course, was talking about his temple being the body. And they were talking about a physical temple. Uh, but there's an allusion there to a third temple. Uh, and I don't know if Herod came in. You, can, you that are historians, you go back and read your heart out, all right? Uh, on deciding whether Herod expanded the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, or whether he... Uh, uh, just built a new one. I don't know. Uh, I read there's both sides that, that, that agree with that on either side of the fence there. And, and so you can call it the third temple, you can call it the second temple, but nonetheless, my point is this, that there were temples built, but today, right now, in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, is not a temple. There's a mosque there. And that mosque has been there for a long time. I don't remember uh, how long. I want to say uh, the early 1000 ADs, but it might have been a little bit later than that. I don't remember exactly. But the point is this. It's been there for a long time. Uh, and, and it's standing there. And so if this is a, a true temple, uh, then hey, th this temple is going to have to be rebuilt. Well, listen, that's not exactly a problem for us. I mean, if Solomon built it in seven years, then I think with power tools... Um, I think we could build it, you know, in, in three years. I think it could be built in a year. Uh, I don't think it's a problem that the temple is not there. I, I think it's very easy for it to be built. And, and we are looking into the future of something that is taking place. And God is telling uh, John to measure the temple. Say, hey, make sure they did it up to spec. Make sure they did it to par. And he's physically measuring this temple. There's no uh, answer given, but he wants to know, was it built to God's standard? Go on in verse number one. It says, and the altar. So he's not just to measure the temple of God, but he's also to measure the altar. Uh, and that's an altar for sacrifice. It's not an altar like we have in our church where we would kneel and pray, but rather an altar that would be used uh, for sacrifice. And, uh, and again, there's no measure uh, that's given. There's no answer. Does it measure right or does it measure wrong? But he is told, measure that altar. Uh, and then watch this. The phrasing is funny. And the Bible says, and them that worship therein. And so there will be those who are worshiping God, uh, probably Jewish. You remember we went in back into uh, chapter 7 and we discovered that there was 144,000 physical Jews that were uh, going to worship God. And that was earlier and, and many things have transpired since then. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is there will be those who are worshiping God. And I find it very interesting because he's telling John, measure them. And that's where we get the idea that, hey, this measuring, uh, he's not wanting to know the height. Well, this guy's five foot and this guy's six foot and this guy's six and a half foot. He's not interested in that. Uh, that's why I believe the measurement stands for something a little different. Uh, and there is no measurements given. There's no accountability, at least given to us. But understand this, that, that God holds man accountable. 
That we can certainly see throughout Scripture. We find that true all throughout Scripture. And so we find that uh, he is saying, hey, measure uh, even the worshipers. I find that very fascinating uh, as he's there at the temple. Uh, look in verse number two. It says, but the court, which is without the temple, leave out. And he says, don't bother measuring the courtyard. Uh, and then he goes on, look what he says, uh, which is without the temple, leave it out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And so we find that uh, he says, hey, don't measure the courtyard, uh, and because it is given Unto the Gentiles. In other words, hey, there will be people that are living in Jerusalem in this time. There will be those who are worshiping God. There are those who are Gentiles, who are uh, not Jewish in nature. And they're given the courtyard. They'll tread it underfoot. And I find it fascinating here because it's one of the first times in the book of Gen or Revelation, rather, uh, that we find a, a full measurement of time. And he says, uh, and they shall tread it underfoot forty and two months. So I pulled out my little calculator, did all the math so you don't have to. It's three and a half years. And so the tribulation period is seven years of tribulation. And we find that here's a halfway mark that is denoted here. Uh, now, people are divided. Is this the first three and a half years? Is this the second three and a half years? I think, just reading, just my opinion, that this tends to point for the next three and a half years. This is looking forward to it and saying, hey, uh, that, that they shall tread down uh, Jerusalem, that holy city, and that they will ha tread down the courtyard even uh, for 40 and two months. This would be going forward. And so that's how I'm in looking at this and, and considering it. Notice in verse number three, so we have in verse number one and two there the temple. And I want you to notice here in verse number three, uh, the two witnesses. And this is fascinating as we'll look at this tonight, uh, that there are two witnesses here. The Bible says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. Now, I found this interesting because you have 40 and two months and then you have 1,260 days is what that is. And when you do the math, because once again, I broke out my little calculator and did all the math and it comes up to three and a half years. And I find it fascinating that uh, in verse two, it's mentioned in months and verse three, it's mentioned in days. And I don't know the relevance for all of that. If you want to take and run with it, hey, praise the Lord. Wonderful. Um, there's there's uh, maybe there's a reason for it. I don't no, I, I was not able to find it. Uh, 1,260 days, uh, the Jewish calendar, their days do run 29 or 30 days in a month consistently. They don't have a 28-day month. They do not have a 31-day month. They run, their, their calendar is different than ours, so it would be safe to take the assumption that we're running off a Hebrew calendar in this portion of Scripture being either 29 or 30 days in a month, and, uh, and it does come out to three and a half years. And so I find that very fascinating that that's there, but we have two witnesses that are going to witness uh, for that three and a half years. Again, my understanding is looking forward uh, to the latter half of the tribulation period. You'll remember that in chapter 7, there were the 144,000 who were witnesses in that time. And so again, God has witnesses maintained throughout the time of the tribulation, whether or not man believes them or listens to them uh, is, is one thing or another, but there are witnesses that are there. And so they're given. And I want you to notice this in verse number three. I found this fascinating. He says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. Now I pointed out in chapter 11 and verse number one that that angel, uh, the story does not break the the. Uh, the continuation from chapter number 10 and verse number 11 is that same angel, in my opinion, as in chapter number 10 and verse number one, where it says, and I saw another mighty angel. You'll remember 
that I said, hey, I, I think that's Jesus Christ. Some, some claim it's not Jesus Christ, it's not an angel. Uh, just my personal thought, I think it is Jesus Christ. And, and as you read down through, and if you were to continue into chapter 11 and, and not divide that and not find, and I don't see much reason to divide that, uh, that here's the same angel, here's the same continuating, or continued uh, conversation after he is in the book, uh, and now he's measuring the temple and now he's being told about these two witnesses that are claimed by this angel. And he says, I will give power to, unto my two witnesses. And I just want you to understand as we read down through here that these witnesses uh, are, are quite it's quite phenomenal. Look at them, to be honest with you. And there's a lot more prophecy in, in Scripture than what I'm giving you. So, uh, so who are these witnesses? That's the question. I know all you, you're looking at me saying, man, just tell us who they are. Just tell us who they are. We want to know. And, uh, and I'll tell you this. Um, the Bible doesn't give, our, give them their, our, their names in this chapter at all. And, uh, and we don't see them listed. Uh, some of the earliest commentators uh, believed that these two witnesses were Elijah and Jeremiah. Uh, now, I didn't dig into why Jeremiah. Uh, I think Elijah is pretty clear. You'll find him as a fairly staple, common name that comes up when people are discussing the two witnesses. But some of the earliest commentators do believe they were Elijah and Jeremiah. Some other early commentators uh, believe that it was Elijah and Enoch. And uh, I've often heard that. Matter of fact, I, if, if I was asked last week, and I was, who I thought those witnesses were, uh, and, I, and I did, I said, I thought, well, I haven't really looked at it, but I think Elijah and Enoch. Um, and I was just uh, giving information that I had heard before. And, and the reasoning behind that was simply this, that Elijah and Enoch did not die. But as I read that, I thought, you know what? Something very relevant was pointed out. A whole lot of people didn't die when the, when the rapture took place. They were pulled out of here. So just simply because they did not die, to me, doesn't give enough reason behind it uh, to, to say Elijah and Enoch. Now, if you believe it's Elijah and Enoch, praise the Lord. You know what? When we get to heaven, God will straighten us out on all of this. Because the names are not given... All we can do is, is make our best guess. That's all we can do. And so I'm just saying that I, I, I changed my mind. I don't think it's Elijah and Enoch anymore. Okay? Um, and, and we'll look at why. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying this is right, but the last two uh, that are very commonly thrown out are Elijah and Moses. And uh, I've often scratched my head at that and said, why Moses? Why on earth would somebody think that one of the, uh, one of the um, witnesses is Moses? Well, as we read down through here, you'll find out why. Um, and, and if you were to ask me today who I think they were, I'll tell you, I don't know. Maybe Elijah and Moses, I could see more of that in the Bible than anything else, but I'll be honest with you, I do not know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And so we can, we can throw things around, and, and I'm happy to do that. I'm interested. I, I don't mind debating Bible. Matter of fact, I love talking about Bible. But, uh, uh, but the bottom line is, is I really don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. And, uh, and so uh, we'll see a little bit about some of that. But I want to go on in verse number 4. Because these two witnesses are going to have power and they're going to prophesy for three and a half years. The Bible says this in verse number four. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Save your spot here in Revelation. Go with me to Zechariah chapter number four. An easy way to find Zechariah is go to the book of Matthew and then go backwards and you'll find Malachi and Zechariah. All right, go to Zechariah chapter number four. And these verses just go so well. There are, I like obvious scripture. I like scripture that just toes in with another scripture. And there, there's very little doubt that can be had when you're looking at it. Uh, that's what I like. And so this verse is very clear to me. And, and it just goes very well with this. Zechariah chapter number 4 and verse number 3. I'm just going to read these. I'm not going to comment a lot on them. But it did mention in, in Revelation 11.4 that they were two olive trees. And here the Bible says in Zechariah chapter number 4 and verse number 3, And two olive trees by it 
one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. Um, let's just read it all. And so, so I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? And they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth." Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which, thou, which through the two golden pipes emptied the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And so we find that this passage is very relevant. It's very clear. It toes in very well. We have the two olive uh, trees, as is mentioned in Revelation, and they are uh, the two witnesses that stand before God and, and stand before the whole earth and stand with God, rather. And so I find that very relevant, and I hope that's uh, info, informational to you, and you can just tuck that away. You can study that because it's very interesting, all of that. Let's move on to verse number uh, three. We, we notice this. He says, I will give power. Uh, verses 5 down through, I think 6 or 7 there, talks about that power. I want you to notice, we'll just kind of rapid fire this in Revelation chapter 11, verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemy. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Uh, that fire that proceedeth out of their mouth uh, is certainly tied to that of uh, Elijah. You'll remember, I wrote it down in, in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse number 10. You can mark that down and go back and read it later. But when Elijah was up in the mount and, uh, and the soldiers come out to get him, the band of 50, you'll remember that. And Elijah prays and God sends fire from heaven and destroys those 50 prophets immediately. The king gets mad and sends out another group of 50. Go get Elijah off that mountain. The second 50 come out, same thing happens. And uh, instant replay all over. And I'm sure by this time there was a crowd standing a little far back because they didn't want to be too close. And watching this and fire falls from heaven, it destroys them. And the third time uh, that, that, that captain of the guard comes out, falls on his knees and basically begs Elijah, don't kill us, please. I want to go home tonight. Would you please come with us? And you find that, that, uh, that Elijah did go. Well, that's kind of the idea here that, hey, that fire would come out of their mouth. In other words, they would pray and have the power to send fire from heaven to devour those people. And so this is why Elijah comes up. Not only that, but look with me in verse number six. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. You'll remember, of course, Elijah, when he first went to Ahab, what did he say? He said, it shall not rain until I say so. And there was no rain. And I tell you what, what a hardship on the earth that was. And so these prophets then are, are able to destroy their enemies with just a mere prayer. They're able to stop up heaven so that no rain comes down. And listen, if it doesn't rain, there's no crops. 
And there's all kinds of problems. And so, uh, so they have this power. God has given them this. Not only that, but look in verse number 6, the latter part. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. They will. And here's where Moses comes into the picture. Probably Elijah and Moses are two of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, as far as miracles are, have been done. And, and I want you to notice this about those two, uh, of course, the plagues of Egypt. Uh, the whole purpose of the plagues of Egypt was that God would show himself strong on the earth. You go back and read it. That's exactly the reason for that. The whole reason that God used Elijah so mightily was not to elevate Elijah and say, look at here, here's a wonderful man, but rather look at here, here is a God in in heaven that is able to do things on this earth. And so they're pointing to God. And so I see the relevance of those who would say Elijah. Elijah, by the way, was named in all of them. Everyone thinks that probably Elijah is one of them. Uh, Moses very well could be. And again, we could all be off, off base. And I tell you what, when we watch it, you probably won't say, I was right, because we're not going to be like that in heaven. Okay, God's going to take away our selfish pride and wanting to be right. And and we'll just know uh, that, hey, um, I missed that one or I got that one, you know, but I'm just saying uh, those two witnesses will be there and they're very powerful. And, and I want you to notice this. They're, they're given all that power uh, and all the plagues that take place. Look at verse number seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So here's three and a half years that these prophets will be prophesying in the earth and they will be showing God's glory. And when somebody goes to go against them and they pray, hey, listen, fire will fall and they'll be destroyed. They'll have the power to say, hey, then you know what? Then this city can be plagued with lice. Then this city can have the problem of, of of no rain, then this city can have, hey, all their rivers would turn to blood. And they will have that kind of power, not so that they themselves can be honored and glorified, but rather so that they can display the very power of God on this earth. But I want you to notice, at the end of that three and a half years, there's going to be a war, and Satan is going to destroy them, and he's going to kill them. Boy, that's crazy. You say, man... And, and listen, this is why I, I tend to not think it's, it's Elijah and Enoch. This is not about Elijah and Enoch and the fact that they escaped death and they need to die. That's why I don't think it's them. This is about God. This is about God's power being displayed on earth. And so I think this is the reason that all of this takes place and there, there's going to be this great war. God up to this point has protected these two witnesses for, throughout these three and a half years, just like God protected Elijah. We went through the, uh, we were going through in the adult Sunday school class, the life of Elijah, fascinating. And God really protected the life of Elijah. And you can see how God would protect the life of these two witnesses as they are testifying and prophesying uh, about God on this earth in this wicked time but eventually it's going to come to an end in verse number seven and they're going to die look at verse number eight and their dead body shall lie in the street of the great city at which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified there's any doubt there, that is Jerusalem without a doubt. And Jerusalem has been referred to in the Bible uh, spiritually as Sodom because of the wickedness and spiritually because uh, uh, Egypt, again, because of their wickedness. There's prophecies in the Old Testament. You can go back and dig them out and find them and read them. But go with me to Psalm really quick, verse uh, chapter 79, save your spot in Revelation. Psalm chapter 79, and I just want to show you this because, again, this scripture just so coincides that, that, that you can't miss it. Um, Psalm chapter number 79 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Psalm 79, 1, O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. 
They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of heaven, the flesh of the saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. That's pretty clear. In Bible times, it was really important that you would bury the dead. Even, even of uh, many times of the opposing, you'll remember when Saul was killed and his son, and they were hung on the wall that David spared no expense. Go get those bones, get them off of the wall, and bury them. It was a thing of respect. It was a thing of, hey, taking care of the dead. Not, it was a thing of just not leaving them. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disrespect. It is a, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, lack of respect, I guess, to leave a dead person lay out in the street and the wild animals come and eat them. That, that's just a disgrace in Bible times. And even really today, we, we don't do that with, uh, if your dog were to die, if my dog were to die, you know what I would do? I'd bury it in the yard. I'd bury it, you know, far enough down that something wouldn't come dig it up. Uh, why? It's just what we do, and there's this respect. But with these men, uh, they left them just open in the street, just laying there. And look at what it says there in verse number uh Verse number eight, that their dead bodies shall lie in the street. Go down to verse number nine. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. In other words, hey, the whole world is going to be able to view this. And a couple, okay, maybe 50 years ago, they didn't see how that was possible. Maybe it was longer than that, 60 years ago, maybe, prior to television. I, sorry, I don't know my timeline good there. But boy, today, man, on your phone, a little, lot, a little camera right there. They put it up, and man, anybody in even, any given nation that has access to the Internet, pull up their phone, access that camera, say, yep, they're still there. They haven't moved three days and people, three and a half days, and they're going to be watching them. And this is really sick. Look at what it says there in verse number 10. And, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and, and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. A couple of thoughts I just want to give on this verse. The, the, the wickedness of the world will rejoice. Oh, these prophets that called down fire from heaven, these prophets that held back the rain, these prophets that sent the, uh, sent the, uh, the, the, the plagues of the, the lice or the frogs or this or that or whatever plagues they're going to send. Uh, listen, the world is going to rejoice that righteousness is finally dead. Because they don't like it. They, wh why does God, why did God in the book of Kings, why did he withhold the rain? Because the king was wicked. He was idolatrous. He was not serving. He introduced idolatry into the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people. And so when God chooses to disobey, God will send recompense. Uh, and and my, um, I heard a message uh, a long time ago that, that, are you listening yet? And, and it talked about uh, earthquakes and it talked about fires and, and God saying, hey, are you listening yet? And, and more earthquakes and more natural disasters and more this and that. And, and isn't, it, isn't it ironic that, hey, those things take place and, oh, the wrath of Mother Nature. No, 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 that's God. But people don't want to see that. They don't want to believe that. They'll be happy when we're dead and we stop saying that because they don't want to believe that there's a God in heaven. They rejoice at the death of these two, uh, t two witnesses of God that God had miraculously protected them for three and a half years. And, uh, but watch this in verse number 11. This is wild. The Bible says this, and we'll stop here. But the Bible says, And after three days and a half... The spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Boy, could you imagine? 
Here's those two witnesses of God. Those guys that were calling down fire from heaven. Those guys who uh, plagues were brought to the earth because of their, uh, their prayer, their prophecy or whatever it was that God gave them to give to the people. And, and they were dead. They were rejoicing. They were partying. The Bible says they were giving gifts one to another. They were rejoicing over the fact that righteousness was slain. But oh man, when they stand on their feet... The guy looking at that on the webcam or the TV or whatever it is, probably drop his phone. That guy just stood up. And friend, it was a trick. Somebody's got strings. The other guy just stood up too. They're moving. There's nobody around them. And the the utter fear that will, that will come upon them. Why? Because I think personally they'll be smote by their own conscience. I was rejoicing that that guy was dead. Something greater here is going on. And, and the fear that will just be struck into their hearts, the utter confusion because they do not want to believe that there is a God. It gets even better uh, because uh, the Bible says in verse number 12, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Not only did these two witnesses stand to their feet alive, but they heard a voice come up hither. And man, they're pulled out and they ascended up into heaven and, and, and they're watching. I mean, could you imagine the text messages? Check the camera. Those guys just stood up. Check that. Turn to channel five. The news has it. Man, them guys just stood up. Radio, we have announcement that these guys in Jerusalem have just stood to their feet after they've been dead for three and a half days. And they're watching and these guys ascend into heaven. Wow, the power of God is amazing. And, and, and I'm just saying, man, that would strike the fear. This is at the end of those last three and a half years. In my timeline, I'm, I'm assuming that that would be the end of the tribulation period and, and things are going to get really bad after that. But we find that, uh, that listen, uh, they're there. I want to note this. In verse number 12, those words come up hither are the exact same words that are used in chapter 4 and verse number 1 when, when the church is raptured out. And listen, those that are saved in chapter 4 are pulled out of here and they're not bound and determined to go through all of this. Um, and, and these two witnesses are literal witnesses that are witnessing and God will protect them all the way to the end of that tribulation period and say, hey, come up hither and he'll pull them out. Listen, can you imagine the world without God's presence at all? You talk about a bad place and, and it, is, it is going to be problematic and they're, they're called out of here and, uh, and, and what an incredible ascension. Look in verse number 13 and, and we will stop here. This is where the end of the, the line comes. And the same hour was a great earthquake and the 10th part of the city fell and the earthquake and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. Terrible earthquake, 10% of Jerusalem is destroyed, 7,000 people die. I was looking up the timeline of earthquakes that take place in Jerusalem and found it fascinating. I, I, I didn't find any way to tie it in. But I want you to notice this, that just because these guys are giving glory to God does not mean that they are saved. The Bible does say that, there, that every man will fall to his knee and will give glory to God. The Bible says in James chapter 2 and verse number 19, uh, Thou believest that there is a God, thou doest well. The de devils also believe and tremble. And so you can believe that there is God. You can recognize the glory of God. You can recognize even the power of God without being saved. And there are those that do. And, and so I don't, I'm not saying that all these people are getting saved. I'm just pointing out the fact that, hey, they very well could be lost people that are awed at the power and demonstration of God's power of these two three these two witnesses that died for three and a half days longer than Christ this is fascinating I'll just throw this out there I read this longer than Christ was in the tomb but less time than Lazarus was in the tomb 
I don't know. You can run with that. <laughs> Fascinating. Three and a half days. I don't know what to make of it. But then he rose him from the dead and boom, called him to heaven. And, and boy, sent in a great earthquake on the earth. Fascinating. We, I, I wanted to get in. I knew we would not have time. Uh, verse number 14 is the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe. So we have that third woe, which is the seventh trumpet, the seventh angel, which sounded. And we will cover that. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll continue our study. But, uh, but I, I just hope and pray that that's helpful to you. I hope and pray that that's a blessing to you. I, I know it's fascinating. Um, and, and I'm just taking the Bible uh, literally. Uh, I know Know there are those who would who would spiritualize much of that chapter. Uh, I, I don't see a need to spiritualize much of that chapter. Uh, it, it seems very literal, and those witnesses seem literal, and the temple seems literal. And uh, and I'm not trying to drag the church through the tribulation. Not interested in it. Um, and so uh, I just throw all that out there. Uh, the book of Revelation is a fascinating book, and uh, and I'm sure I have no doubt that. You know what? God will straighten us all out when we get to heaven and we'll know perfectly uh, at that time. All right. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you. We thank you even for the book of Revelation. God, you said that blessed is the man that studieth this book. And God, we're, I'm doing my best to understand and explain and teach. And God, I pray that we're trying to understand and grasp the the meaning of, of your word. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts through it. May we glory, may we awe in your power and your ability and in your wisdom and in how you work, Father. Because truly, you're an amazing God. And God, we're amazed at your power. I'm amazed, God, on a regular basis at your patience with the wickedness of man. God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would help us to be in awe of you and who you are. Father, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the altar's open, the music's playing. Maybe God's spoken to your heart. Always like to give a time and it's not necessarily a message per se, but a lot of information, and I hope and pray that it's a blessing to you and a help to you. Maybe God spoke to your heart about something. I always like to give an opportunity for you to pray. We'll bring our 